And the word of God reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven, days full, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall firm, swarm with frogs that, that shall come into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand, his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them and the Lord, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth 
so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth shall become gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord to us. You know, sin has affected humanity in just numerous ways. The implications of Adam and Eve eating, eating from the forbidden tree in the middle of the garden are far too numerous to name. We, can, we could spend all morning just rehearsing the implications of that one defiant sinful act of Adam and Eve in the garden. Sin runs deep and sin runs wide. One of those sins, one of those implications that has affected humanity is arrogance. It is the sin that assumes that we are the center of the universe, that what we say goes and how we think rules. Whenever you and I are disobedient to God, that is what we are declaring, whether we realize it or, or not. When we fail to yield to the commands of God, we are at that moment appealing to what we believe to be a higher authority, namely self. That was the sin of Adam and Eve. And that is the sin of all those men and women who disobey God. Arrogance. If you have been paying attention throughout our study of the life of Moses, Pharaoh is the epitome of this malady. Pharaoh is arrogant. The account in Exodus bears that out for us. You remember when Moses and Aaron first went before Pharaoh, they appeared to him, and they, they, they rehearsed for Pharaoh, or they, they spoke to Pharaoh the commands of the Lord, what thus says the Lord, that Pharaoh was to release God's people so that they might go out into the wilderness to be able to worship him. It was a command, it was the command of God, and you remember what Pharaoh's response was in Exodus 5 and 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh heard this command of the Lord and basically said, I don't know your God, and he has no authority over me. That right there, brothers and sisters, is the epitome of arrogance. What Pharaoh did not realize is that God will not be mocked. That's what we learn in Galatians 6 and 7. Be not deceived, the Lord says, Paul says of the Lord. God is not mocked. For whatever, uh, soever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And Pharaoh 
Pharaoh sowed disobedience and arrogance, and he was going to reap judgment and the knowledge of the only true God. Look at verse 17 of our text, Exodus 7 and 17. But this you shall know, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. Yahweh, God Almighty, is about to leave no question in Pharaoh's mind regarding who he is. This is one of the major purposes for the plagues that we see carried out or brought forth on Egypt. You, you, you ever wonder why? You ever kind of thought to yourself and wondered why God didn't just put Pharaoh into a, a deep sleep and, and kind of sneak the Hebrew people out under the, the darkness of, of, of night? He could have done it that way, but he chose to bring his people out through signs and wonders, through these miraculous and and all-consuming plagues. Why would he do that? Because he was about to leave Pharaoh and Egypt without excuse. Pharaoh may have claimed ignorance before, but that wasn't going to be the case after the plagues. He was going to know the power, might, and authority of the great I am. In reality, brothers, sisters, no one, no one has an excuse for denying the knowledge of God. Those those who claim to not know him, what they are doing is suppressing the truth. That's what... Paul tells us in Romans 1, 8, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. For, for what can be known about God is made plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So what? So that they are without excuse. Pharaoh was without excuse. But God was going to oblige his ignorance and reveal himself even more through these plagues. Through these plagues, God was going to reveal to to Pharaoh several things. And the first thing that we, we see in our text is that Yahweh is going to reveal to Pharaoh that he is the one and only true God. Now, Egypt was a pagan culture. Now, this doesn't mean that they were atheists or irreligious. Actually, quite the contrary. They were very religious. This meant that they worshipped gods, multiple gods to be exact, but failed to worship the one 
true and only living God. In this, the Egyptians and Pharaoh are like all those throughout human history who have failed to acknowledge God. Men and women suppress the truth of God and, and fashion images and idols seeking to exalt created things to worship or hope in. That's what the human heart does. Calvin, it was Calvin who called the human heart an idol factory. These gods that human hands create or or those created things we worship as opposed to the creator when examined when we find out about these these gods is that they are a reflection of us we worship these gods because they are fashioned according to our likes and our dislikes because they give some benefit to the worshiper namely us we make them gods because we believe their whole purpose is to please us. I remember having a conversation with a guy, and he was telling me about all the things he thought God should do and how he thought God should, should treat him. And I listened, and I, and I obliged for a little bit, and, and, I, and I said, you know what? It kind of sounds like you want to make a God in your own image. And he paused. He says, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I do want a God who is made in my own image. Now, this is, this is, a, this is a, what is, this is the, what plagues our culture in our, in our day rampant in our culture, but this was the culture of the Egyptians. They made a god of the created things rather than the creator. So when we look at these plagues, when we go over them over the next few weeks, what, what you have is God showing his power and authority over the created things that the Egyptians themselves had made into gods. This is important to understand as we look at the first plague inflicted on Egypt. You do realize that this first plague, the plague of turning the Nile into blood, was a direct attack on the religious system of Egypt. The, the Nile provided for Egypt um, great prosperity. It, it, it was the, a large reason for their success. It provided protection and sustenance and, and transportation and, and commerce. It was so important to the life of the Egyptians that they made it their God. They worshiped the Nile because it was bigger than them, and therefore they saw it as all powerful. To the Egyptians, when they looked out on the waters of the Nile, they saw life. Sadly, the Egyptians did not realize that the Nile didn't just appear. They didn't, 
They didn't look past its life-giving ability and the magnificence of the Nile. They didn't look past it to the magnificence of the life-giver and the one who created the Nile. And in one word, what God was doing by turning the Nile into blood was showing that he was bigger and mightier than the Nile. As Aaron held out the staff of God, this body of water, this Nile, that was, that was the lifeline of Egypt was, was turned to blood, killing everything in it and bringing Egypt to a halt. But Pharaoh and Egypt needed to know what they needed to know was that in the beginning, it was God who brought forth the waters of the earth. He is the one who, who put the fish in the sea. He is the creator of all and therefore ruler of all. The rivers, the frogs, the gnats, and every other created thing answers to him. Psalm 24, 1 reminds us of this. It says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. The Nile belonged to the Lord. And he was showing Pharaoh and demonstrating to Pharaoh his ultimate authority over the created things that they thought to worship. Brothers and sisters, this is a sobering reality. God turned the Nile into blood to show his power and authority over that which Egypt trusted in. They made a God of the Nile thinking that nothing was more powerful than it. And with the power of his word, God soured what they thought was the source of their life. Brothers and sisters, the question is, what might the Lord turn to blood in your life? What gift or created thing are you worshiping? What, what do you think you can't live without? Do you understand, brothers and sisters, this, this plagues all of humanity. We, we want to get so enamored with the created things that, that we fail to see and acknowledge the creator. We, we, we worship sports and, and, and think that and forget that it is the Lord who, who gave us sports to enjoy, to, to enjoy them and then take pleasure and joy in Him. We are to look past the gifts, look past the created things and see the glory of God. Not be enamored with that which He created, but be enamored with the Creator. Listen, what might the Lord turn to blood in your life? God might not literally turn it into blood, but don't think he will allow you to find contentment in that which he created and not in him, the creator. He can, and he will bring that thing to a halt. 
this to make you miserable? No. Is it because he is being mean? No. He wants to show you that he is bigger and better and that he alone is God. That's what he was showing. That's what he was showing to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, there is only one true God, Egypt. There is only one true God, Israel. As you look on and see the plagues affecting Egypt, there is only one true God, and his name is Yahweh. God is not through. He's not through with revealing himself to Pharaoh. Pharaoh would learn that there is only one true God, but he would also learn that Yahweh performs miracles, not magic. Yahweh performs miracles, not magic. We touched on this briefly when Moses and Aaron were before Pharaoh and the staff of God had turned into a serpent. You do remember that. You remember that the the magicians, um, too, were able to make their staffs turn into serpents. And with these next two signs, the the turning of the Nile into blood and the the frogs coming up on land, we, we are told that they are also able to duplicate those signs. Now, if you are inquisitive or or you're simply uh, paying attention, which I hope you are you might be trying to figure out what the writer means here when, they, when he says that the magicians were able to do the same. It, it begs the question, the text is begging the question, did they perform miracles like God did? It's a good question. Well, the quick answer is no. But we need to be clear on this, so let's dig in a little bit. How did the magicians accomplish this? They, they replicated the same signs that, that Moses and Aaron had just displayed. How is this possible? Well, well, the text tells us clearly how they were able to replicate the miracles. In verse 22 of chapter 7 and verse 7 of chapter 8, it says that they were able to bring them about by their secret arts. What we learn here is that there is a stark difference between miracles and magic. Now we know, we know that that is, that, that, that is the case, because the magic that the, that the magicians performed were to lesser scales than the miracles that were performed. Lesser scales. This had to be the case. If you think about it, Moses and Aaron, through the staff of God, had turned all of the Nile into blood. The Nile had already been turned into blood, and so in order for the magicians to to duplicate this sign, 
It had to be on a, on a smaller scale. Their only course of action was to, to take the, the, the water that was gained from the Egyptians digging wells to, to get water and to somehow, by sleight of hand, by, by magic, by illusion, change that water into blood. Not the whole Nile, but the buckets of water. With the frogs, they were, they were everywhere. They, they had no ability to produce the number of frogs that God brought forth from the river. They could only do so on a smaller scale. As one, as one commentator says, the duplication of these signs was enough to convince the skeptics like Pharaoh that they were just like the miracles God performed. They, they appeased those who were looking to dismiss the miraculous power of God. These, you got to understand, were the best magicians in Egypt. And so they were good. But at the end of the day, what the Bible says is that they brought these things about by secret arts. That's what secret arts means. It means that they used magic. It's, it's trickery. It's light of hand. It's, it's misdirection. It's illusion. It's not real. We also know that what the magicians performed was magic and not miracles because as we learned a couple of weeks ago, miracles are the prerogative of God. What Moses and Aaron performed was not by their hand alone. It was by the hand of God. When they commanded the, the Nile to turn into blood, they used the staff of God. When, the, when they called forth the frogs, they, they used the, the staff of God. It was God who gave the command ultimately for the frogs to come upon the earth, for the gnats to come up and, and infest Egypt. What the magicians brought about came about by their hands. And if it came about by their hands, then it could only be magic and not a miracle. Created beings, brothers and sisters, are not given the power in and of themselves to suspend the laws of nature. To be able to have the ability to call forth that which is not is the work of God. All the signs and wonders that we see in the scripture from Elisha and Elijah and, and the disciples in, in Acts all come about because God gave them, worked through them to perform those miracles. And he did so with purpose. The miracles of God were purposeful. God was showing forth his power and his might to accomplish his purposes, therefore moving his agenda forward. This wasn't how the magicians were behaving. The magicians were bringing these things about by secret arts, by their own hands. 
And that soon became evident in our text. They had convinced Pharaoh and the others in Egypt that they were able to turn water into blood. They were able to call forth frogs from the sea. But then, God brings a third plague on Egypt, gnats. God commands Aaron to stretch out his hand and to call forth gnats from the dust. And so all of Egypt is overwhelmed, is swarming with these insects. And this is how we know for sure that the magicians perform magic and not miracles. The Bible says in Exodus 8 and 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. They couldn't do it. The magicians had come to the end of their magic bag of tricks. Truth be told, this is the commentary, this is the testimony of magicians in the scriptures. Daniel 4 and 7, you remember when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted to know what this dream was about, he couldn't figure it out. Who does he call for? He calls for the magicians. And this is what the text says. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. This is the commentary. This is the testimony of magicians in the scriptures. Magicians' magic has limits. God's miracles know no limits. It's the nature of false signs. Nature of false signs is that they have limitations. That is why, this is why, sadly, for every one person, a faith healer with a big tent claims to heal, there are countless men and women who leave still in a wheelchair, still afflicted with cancer and worse off emotionally than when they first came in. False signs give false hope because they are limited. But not so with with God. His power, His ability, His miracles know no limits. We see that in the text. Not only was He able to bring about the plagues, but he was able to reverse the plagues. He's the one that restored the Nile back to being able to be drunk. He's the one that removed the frogs. He was able to call forth the plague and remove the plague. Only the the magicians could only replicate it. They had no power, no ability to pull back the plagues. They saw the gnats. Magicians saw them. And they realized that they were overmatched. You, you ever been there before? Like, been there like when you thought you were pr- pretty proficient at something, right? You had a skill. This, this happened to me when I, when I first went to my, my first um, golf tournament. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm good, good at golf, right? Not, not too bad. And I got to that first tee, and I saw them hit the ball, and I said, 
oh, they're doing something different than what I'm doing. (laughs) This happened to Simon the magician in Acts 8. You do remember that, right? Simon was a well-known magician, famous. People were amazed by him, and he called himself great. (laughs) And and Philip and some of the other disciples witnessed to, 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 to Simon. And then Simon believed. And they began to perform miracles in the sight of Simon. And the text says that, that Simon, the magician, was amazed at what was going on and what was happening. Because Simon realized what they're doing is different than what I was doing. The magicians looked at the gnats and saw they could not bring them about and declared in Exodus 8 and 19, this is the finger of God. They themselves, the magicians, declared that this is the work of the Lord. Miraculous wonders, brothers and sisters, are unmistakable. They they saw a miracle. This is what a miracle is. It's just unmistakable. It's it's like one of those things that, that you just can't explain, but you will know it when you see it. It's like when when Lazarus came walking out of the tomb. The brothers and sisters that were there, they said, oh yeah, that is a miracle. That man was dead three days and he came out of the the tomb, walked out of the tomb. It's It's like Peter when he healed that lame beggar at the gate beautiful. And he looked at him and he said, he said, get up and 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 walk. And that man jumped up and he started leaping and he started praising God. And and the text tells us that the the crowd looked on and they marveled. They were amazed. Why? Because they knew that was a miracle. Brothers and sisters, Pharaoh's magicians, these were the best musicians. They magicians, they, they know what magic looks like. They know what it's like. They've performed it. They could do the water. They could do the frogs. They said, ain't no magician in Egypt doing gnats. This is different than what we, what we know to be. And they declared it was the mighty hand of God. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, the text says. And he did not listen to him. Which is sad because through these first three plagues and throughout the others that we will study, what was also being revealed to Pharaoh is that God is merciful and patient. Pharaoh thus far had been given four signs. The staff turning into a serpent, and then three plagues, all of which increased in intensity. Turning the Nile into blood no doubt affected Egypt, 
but, but they were able to work around it, digging deep wells that produced clean water. And besides, the, the common Egyptians would have felt the effects more than the ruler of Pharaoh because he had, he had servants. He had servants who could bring him clean water. And so he, the, the not turning the Nile into blood really didn't affect him much. In fact, the text tells us so in Exodus 7 and 23. After seeing the Nile turned into blood, it says that Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. He was indifferent. The frogs and the gnats, <laughs> those were altogether different. I don't think we have a reference point. I don't think we have a reference point for the number of frogs that descended on Egypt. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe if you've seen Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe. But I, I just, we just don't have a reference point for the amount of frogs that descended on Egypt. The text is telling us that they were in everything and that they were everywhere. Can you imagine? <laughs> right, exactly. And there were, then there were these gnats. I remember uh, playing Little League Baseball and being out there in center field in the, in the dead of summer. And... Um, you know, they put you out in center field because ain't nobody hitting the ball out in center field in Little League, right? And so most of the time, it's just kind of standing there, and you're, what you're doing is you are dodging the gnats. You are taking your hat, your glove, and you're just kind of waving them, you know, and trying to get them out the way. Then you put your hand up because they say that the gnats go to the highest point in your body, so you stand out there in center field like <laughs> trying to get the gnats away from you. The gnats that I experienced in Little League were no match for these gnats. Because what we don't understand is that these gnats were like mosquitoes or, night, or, or, or lice. Not only were they annoying, but they, they could bite. <laughs> they, they, could, they could sting. Pharaoh might have been able to escape the effects of the Nile, but not so with the frogs and the gnats. And it was the frogs that really got to him. <laughs> so much so, he called for Moses and Aaron and said in verse 8 of chapter 8, plead, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now notice this. Pharaoh didn't call the magicians to bring him relief. He called on the one whom he believed could do something about it. He called on Yahweh. Remember? Remember, Pharaoh said, had claimed not to know God. Well, he knew him enough to call on him when he needed help. <laughs> Pharaoh wants no more. I don't want any more frogs. He's had enough, and he is ready to let the people go. Just have the, have the Lord remove the frogs. I'm blown away by the patience and mercy of God. God demonstrated here. You know, Pharaoh 
in his arrogance, still thinks he's in charge. Listen. Listen to him. He defines the terms. He doesn't say, the, the frogs are too much, and he doesn't say, okay, okay, I, I've had enough. Let Israel go. Just get them out of my sight. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to see them anymore. They brought, me too much, uh, they brought too much to me, and I, I just can't handle it. Let them go. No. He says, if the frogs go away, then I will release the Hebrew people. Pharaoh's obedience is, is conditional on his demands being met. We, or, or should I say people, because you and I never do this, but, but, but people do this all the time. Lord, if you would just get me out of this situation, then I will do such and such. If, if you would just help me get this job, then I will obey your voice. Oh, I remember being in a very precarious situation as a freshman in high school and praying this very prayer. Lord, Lord, if you would just get me out of this situation. We do it. We do it all the time. Pharaoh arrogantly thinks he's still in charge. But look at the mercy and patience of God. Moses asked him when, when, he, when he wants his request to be met, when do you want the frogs to leave? I, I, I'll pray on, on your behalf for this. When do you want the frogs to leave? Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Moses says, done. They'll be gone. Your request will be met. It will be done as you ask. Why? Exodus 8 and 10. So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Brothers and sisters, this is the nature and the character of our God. He is who he revealed himself to Moses to be. He is the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger. God could have at any moment blotted out Pharaoh. He, he had no, no reason to, to accept his request to remove the frogs. He could have, he could have kept at him. But he showing forth his mercy. Brothers and sisters, don't you ever, ever, ever for a moment think that the Lord is not merciful. He's merciful. The fact that you and I are here with breath in our lungs means that there is a God in heaven who has allowed us to do so. He's merciful. He has every right to take us out. You know, that night, 
freshman in high school when I prayed, Lord, if you would just get me out of this situation, if you would just get me out of this situation, he did. God was merciful to me that night. He had no reason to be. None. None. But he was. But like Pharaoh, I didn't keep my word. Text tells us that Pharaoh changed his mind. Upon relieving getting the respite from the frogs, he decided that he was not going to let the people go. And he hardened his heart just as the Lord said would happen. Brothers and sisters, don't let us not harden our hearts this morning. God has revealed himself as the one and only true God. He, he is the God who, who works miracles without limitations. He is more than patient and merciful. You know what he's done? He's come in the person of Jesus to remove the sin that has infested our lives. And when you and I cry out to him for mercy, he shows it. He's merciful. When we are overwhelmed, when we can't do it anymore, when we say, I am through with my sin, I need mercy. And you cry out to the one who has, who's the only one who has the ability to do something about it, guess what? He is merciful and gracious and he welcomes you home. He'll answer. Trust him. Just don't. Just don't harden your heart this morning. Let's pray.